Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Throughout the holiness movement, we've often had examples of men who just kept on preaching in spite of their physical challenges. One such man is Jack Hooker, pastor of the Village Park Bible Methodist Church in Westfield, Indiana. This sermon was preached in 1995 at God's Bible School and College Fall Revival, and he titles this sermon, The Failure. And although he is directing this sermon to young people, it is pertinent for all of us. I know you're going to enjoy this wonderful sermon. Not too long ago in my church, I preached a series of messages, two of those messages I may be preaching during this revival. I began to think about the ministry of the church, reaching out to people. And so I tried to preach a message on our ministry to the feeble, those in our church that are discouraged and sad and disheartened and troubled and the many, many things that they go through. For life can be very cruel, life is not always fair, and sometimes life can be very tragic. And then our responsibility in ministry to the fallen, to those in the gutter, to those in the ditch, to those that are soiled and, and scarred with sin. Are we really, are we really reaching those type of people? The third message is our ministry to the failure. I believe all these three areas are areas in which we have neglected our ministry. Do we really minister to those that have failed the Lord? And so I want to preach tonight really, really something that I wouldn't be preaching normally later on maybe into the meeting that I felt led to do it tonight is to preach to you on the failure. Judges chapter 16 and verse 28. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, 
and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. I want to read one companion scripture tonight found in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Father, thank you for settling down in such a wonderful way in this service tonight. And we're so thankful you know where we are and what we need. And we worship thee tonight. We praise thee tonight. We adore thee tonight. We thank you, Lord, that you did come and reach us and seek us, even in our failure. We pray you'll anoint the word of God to our hearts and we'll praise thee for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Bible is a true reflection or picture of life. We make a lot about those in the Bible who were sterling characters. Men like Abel and Enoch and Isaac and Joseph and Samuel and of course the life of Christ. Men that from the beginning to the end of their life lived true and faithful to God. But the Bible tells us about Moses who because of failure was not allowed to enter into the land of Canaan. Men like Jonah who had to learn his lesson in the belly of a whale. Also men like Saul who lamented that the spirit of the Lord had departed from him and died at his own hand. Men like Judas, who betrayed our Lord for 30 pieces of silver and also died at his own hand. Men like Demas, as Paul writes in prison and said, Demas, my friend Demas, hath forsaken me, for he loved this present world. And then the Bible tells us about men that were failures but found their way back to God. God was wanting us to know that failure need not be final. Men like Samson, whose prayer I read tonight. Men like David, who sinned grievously the sin of adultery and murder and yet found full forgiveness and restoration. Men like Peter who denied that he even knew the Lord three times and yet wept bitterly with tears and found the favor of God again. I want you to notice a few things about the failing believer. Really one of the hardest souls to reach in any church 
is, is the failing. There's not a church in the United States of America we could go to that sitting in that congregation on a regular basis is somebody that has known the joys of salvation, that has known what it is to feel the kiss of pardon, the joy of the Lord, the beauty of a day-to-day -day relationship, but they sit there on that Sunday morning cold and without God, knowing that they miserably failed him. Many times those people stay right close to the church. My church is no exception to other churches. And this last Sunday morning, there were a number of people in my congregation, young married people, older people, that have failed the Lord. The day before uh, Sunday, Saturday, I was invited to a wedding reception. It was a fairly large reception and it was basically reserved for the family of the bride. And, and the groom. I looked over that room and I saw one right after another of people that once had a glowing testimony, that once knew the Lord and it, he was the passion of their heart. But one after another, I looked at them and they're far away from God, though they're staying close to the church. Sometimes we don't know how to deal with the failure because if I were to ask somebody here tonight that has failed the Lord, I wouldn't have to explain to you the ABCs of getting saved. I wouldn't have to go through the simple steps of what it means to give your heart to the Lord. You'd say, wait a minute, Brother Hooker, wait a minute. I knew the Lord. I know what it takes. I know what I have to do to get back to God. And so it's a difficult thing sometimes to deal with people that already know. And then sometimes the failure has no interest at that particular time in returning to God. We like to read the story about the prodigal son, how he came to himself in the hog pen and, and returned and asked his father for forgiveness and was restored. But go with me to the far country when the prodigal still had money and when he was buying drinks for the house and when he had a woman on each arm and when he was gambling away his inheritance and when they were laughing and joking in a drunken stupor and come up to the prodigal and say, son, don't you realize your father loves you? Don't you realize your father and mother are praying for you? Don't you realize you're wasting your substance in riotous living? Why don't you come home? I'm sure the prodigal would stop for a moment and say, listen, don't bother me. I'm having the time of my life. I'm not interested in coming back home. The backslider really, really is a neglected. The failure is a, ne is a neglected lot many times in our churches. I think about the parable of the Good Samaritan and it's significant to me that it is the church, it was the religious people of that day that looked down in that ditch and saw a man dying and bleeding and bruised and simply went to the other side of the way and said, I'm not, I'm not interested in that, in that person at all. 
Think with me for a minute. Something's bothered me for a long time. Maybe you can help me with it. But I've known a lot of people that God has wonderfully saved out of a terrible life of sin. I mean, they'll tell you, they'll say, Brother Hooker, listen, I, I did everything in the catalog. I mean, I was out in gross sin. I did everything that there was to do, and yet they got gloriously saved, and we don't have any problem welcoming them right into our fellowship, giving them the, our pulpit to preach. We forget that they had ever done anything. But here's a young man or young lady raised in a parsonage. They lived a pure life for years, and they fail one time. In some places I could take you to tonight, we won't even shake their hand. We won't recognize they're there. We surely wouldn't let them up on the platform or behind the pulpit. Now I realize tonight as a preacher of the gospel, there are some things that I could do that could discredit me from the ministry, maybe forever. But on the other hand, I've wondered, God forbid if I would fail, if there'd be somebody interested enough to reach down and help to pick me back up. I hope I never have the responsibility to go. I've had pastor friends of mine that have, that the devil has tripped up and they've failed and the conference president has had to go to them and ask them for their ministerial credentials. But I hope, I hope, I hope in the other, in the, in the next breath that not only are we asking them for their credentials, we're reaching to them a hand and say, brother, it isn't that we want to discredit you. We want to see you restored to grace. Do we really love the failure? I wonder how many of us in this room tonight that are a little bit older, I'm not talking to the students tonight, I wonder how many of us are a little bit older could stand and say, Brother Hooker, I never failed. I never failed. You say, Brother Hooker, do we have to fail? No, we don't. No, we don't. But I wonder how many of us are here tonight that say, I'm, thank I'm thankful that God's the God of a second chance. He's the God that forgives failure. You see, you see the failure has a difficult time because Satan tries to convince that person that they've gone too far. They've done too much. There is no hope. You can't make it. You are just a miserable failure. People lose confidence, and we know that. We know, look, look at what I've done. I've disappointed this one and that one. And really, it's not only that, but it's difficult sometimes to forgive ourselves. God's been so good to me. He's done so much for me. And look, I've failed him. I don't know if I can forgive myself. Why do people fail the Lord? There's numbers of reasons. But maybe if for just a little while we understood why people fail the Lord, it would help us. I think there's a lot of people around our churches that have failed the Lord because of other people. They've stumbled and fallen over other people. When I was in my first pastorate, we didn't have a lot of money. And so we had to really be careful. Money was tight. Somebody gave the parsonage a dishwasher. And I was so happy 
But there's only one problem. We had to get it hooked up. Had to have the electric hooked up and the water hooked up. And I called a plumber and I said, could you come and hook up my new electric dishwasher? And they said, well, we can for $35. And I said, we don't have $35. So I went down to the hardware store and I said, Brian, I want you to teach me how to hook up a dishwasher. And that was my first relationship with Brian, the owner of that hardware store. And believe me, in nine years of pastoring, we had a warm, personal relationship. He taught me how to do a lot of things so we could save money. In fact, he told me it was a while before he even knew I was a pastor. He thought I was a maintenance man. And I was, but I was a pastor too. But one day I went in to see Brian and Brian said, you know that fellow that was in here with you last week, does he go to your church? I said, yeah, he does. I didn't tell him he was my Sunday school superintendent. He said, he said, you know, a couple of years ago, that man started a business. And he came to me and asked me if I'd give him credit on some tools so he could start his business. And when he got his first job or two done, he'd pay me back. But Brian said, I've never gotten that first penny. I said, Brian, listen, we're not going to have that. You say, Brother Hooker, what were you going to do? I was going to go to the church board and say, we owe a bill. You say, the church didn't owe a bill. Yes, they did owe a bill. Our Sunday school superintendent owed the bill. And now we owe the bill. Amen. Brian looked at me and said, Brother Hooker, I want, he said, Jack, rather, he said, I want you to promise me right now you'll never say anything to your church or to that man. He said, we've written it off. I want to forget it. You promise me right now you'll never say a word. And I promised. But do you think it would be more difficult for me to bring Brian into my church on a Sunday morning and have him come into church have my Sunday school superintendent stand up and tell him about the glory of God and the wonders of living for Christ, it'd be difficult, wouldn't it? I'm talking to some of you here tonight that have been raised in a parsonage. And to be honest with you, I have two girls, 16 and 13. My 16-year-old can't wait to get here. But I have two girls, and I, I've been scared more than once that they'd see too much, Brother Eisenhardt, They'd see too much and they'd get their eyes off Jesus. And some of you have seen an awful lot. You've seen an awful lot done in the name of Christ that was far from anything that had to do with holiness and right. And maybe you sit in your seat and say, Brother Hooker, I just gave up. I just thought there was not anything to it. I saw so much fake. I just put up my hands and gave up. And that's why you're not right with God tonight. Maybe it's not the inconsistencies of others, but maybe it's the neglect of the means of grace. If there's any one reason that I can pick why people are failures, it has been around the altars numerous times when somebody has prayed and gotten back to the Lord and looked up and said, Pastor, I haven't been praying. I haven't been reading my Bible 
and I just leaked out in my soul. Maybe they haven't been testifying to the grace of God. And listen, there isn't any harder place to stand up and testify than in chapel at God's Bible School. I can tell you that. I've been a lot of places, and it was about the hardest place for me to stand up with my peers and testify. But maybe you haven't testified to the grace of God. Maybe you've just lost that daily personal relationship with the Lord. It happens over and over and over and over and over again. Maybe it's not the neglect of the means of grace, but maybe you got yourself in a situation where you were, were dominated by those that were not serving the Lord for peer pressure and your association is the greatest pressure you will face. There was a couple that lived about an hour from where I pastored. They moved into Florida. They had been wonderfully used of the Lord. He was a preacher. She had worked in a Bible college situation. Now they were teaching in public school and they moved into a town where there was not a good church to attend. So they started attending the best church they could find. They would come over and visit our church every once in a while and on a regular basis he would fill in for me when I was gone and the people loved him. They loved his ministry. They were glad that he was able to fill in for me. But they would tell me, oh, Brother Hooker, the church we go to, we're just not getting anything. The people are not spiritually minded. We just, we're just not getting what we need. If we could just live over here and go to your church. And so we tried to encourage them to move. And we even uh, talked to them about fixing up a room in the church where they could stay on Sunday afternoon if they wanted to make the drive over on Sunday. But they didn't seem to want to do that. I remember a revival meeting when the, when the lady came to an altar of prayer. She prayed a little while and the evangelist said, Sister, if you could just tell us where you are, it would help us to know how to pray. And she looked up with a pitiful look and she said, I don't really know where I am. I remember the day that I picked up the phone and called this brother. I was going to be gone in a meeting. I needed him to fill in for me. His wife answered and said, well, my husband's in the shower right now. And I said, well, I was just wanting to know if he could fill in for me next Sunday. And she said, Brother Hooker, he's not preaching anymore. The environment that was around them began to control them and their spiritual temperature went down to the level of the environment that was around and they failed the Lord. We fail the Lord when we commit known sin. When we know what God wants us to do and we say no to the Lord. When we know that God forbids us to do something but we say yes to our own will. We fail the Lord. I was out visiting one particular time a number of years ago and was visiting in my, the home of my Sunday school superintendent and his wife. And his wife spoke up and said, have you noticed how, how these two particular individuals in church have been spending a lot of time together talking off to themselves after church? And I said, really, I haven't. And they said, well, Brother Hooker, just would you look? We're, we're just sort of concerned. They were concerned because the man was a married man, the woman was married, but they weren't married to each other. And it just seemed like something might be wrong. 
I didn't think there was anything wrong, but the next service I told my wife, I said, honey, you stand back here and shake hands with, with the congregation and I'm just gonna slip out to the parking lot. I did and when I got out there, these two young people, relatively young people were already out in the parking lot in the darkness. The next day I made a trip to Debbie's home I said, Debbie, I'm concerned about something. I said, you're not having any kind of a problem, are you? And I related what I had observed. When I did, Debbie broke down and started to weep. She said, Brother Hooker, we've been having an affair. Just last night, we were in a motel room alone and I'm tired of it and I wanna get back to God. We prayed in the living room that night and Debbie seemed to get back to God. The young man never did. They knew they were wrong. They knew they were sinning and they became a failure. I may be preaching to somebody here tonight, a young person, you've come to a crossroads. God has shed light on your pathway, but you exercised your own will. You see, young people, we're not robots. God didn't create us to just automatically and without, without volition be obedient to him. He gave us a will, a will so strong that God has chosen not to violate it with his will. And you can go ahead and walk across his light and his word and his way and do what's wrong if you want to. You say, Brother Hooker, I've been a failure. I've failed God. Brother Hooker, when I was here last night and raised my hand for prayer, I knew that I wasn't where I ought to be spiritually. How do you get back? What is the road back? I think we can see that in the prayer of Samson. The first thing you got to do is you've got to go back where you left him. Go back where you said no. Maybe where you said no, I won't preach. Or no, I won't be a mercenary. Or no, I won't pay my tithe. Or no, I won't say I'm sorry. Or no, I won't go that way. Or no, I won't do that. And the Lord will bring us right back to where we said no and give us another opportunity to say yes. He's not cutting any corners for any of us and I'm glad he's not. He's no respecter of persons. His standard is the same for you and you and you and you and me. And I'm so glad for that. I'm glad he doesn't pay favorites because all of us are his favorites. But he'll bring us right back to where we walked against light, right back to where we left him. If we left him at our own private altar, he'll bring us right there. If we left him in the crowd we're keeping, he's gonna bring us right there and let us pick another crowd. Could I tell you young people tonight that right now in the beginning days of this school year, you're gonna be picking the crowd you run with. And I hate to say this, but in Bible school, like anywhere else you're gonna to go to, there's a crowd that's deeply spiritual and there's a crowd that's not. And he's gonna give you an opportunity to pick the crowd you wanna identify with. He's gonna bring you right back to where you failed him, right back to where you did something you knew you shouldn't do and give you an opportunity to put that under the blood 
The first step to a road back is to come right back to where we failed the Lord and be honest and come face to face with our failure. The second thing Samson did was he prayed and he called upon God. That seems to be so elementary, but it needs to be said. I see Samson as he stands, a blinded, battered man, a shell of his former self. He had lost his glory and strength. He had lost what God had placed within him, but yet he looked up to heaven and felt welcome to address God one more time and say, oh God, I'm sorry, and I need to be restored. You say, Brother Hooker, you don't understand. You don't understand how many times I've failed. You don't understand. This isn't the first trip I made to an altar. This isn't the first trip I've messed up, time I've messed up. But I can tell you in the authority of God's word, God's bending his ear tonight to hear the cry of the failure. He specializes in forgiving failure. Hallelujah. And then Samson exercised faith. I believe with all my heart he didn't feel one twinge of new strength when he put his arms and hands on those pillars and began to push. But he believed in a God that said, I will forgive. And he started to push by faith. You know that tells me something? That tells me if you're here tonight and you know you failed God, I wouldn't wait for some extraordinary sense of conviction. I wouldn't wait for some, some different type of feeling. If I were here tonight and knew I'd failed God, I'd act on what I knew. You already know. And I'd do what I knew was right no matter how I felt. And I believe, friend, tonight that God would meet you more than halfway if he sees you're really serious about wanting to go with him. Both my girls walked when they were about nine months of age. And I remember when we used to get down on the floor, you know, and Jan or Jenny would pull up to a couch or a coffee table and we'd say, come to daddy, come to daddy, you know. And they'd wobble a little bit. But invariably, as they began to learn to walk, the first few steps were failures. They'd fall and hit the coffee table. They'd hit their nose on the floor. They'd cry and crawl to daddy or mommy and just cry. What do you suppose, friends, if, if Jan or Jenny all of a sudden said, you know what? I never stubbed my nose when I crawled. I never bumped my head when I crawled. I never had any problems crawling around. I just think I'm gonna crawl the rest of my life. But there was something inside of them that said, I'm gonna walk. I'm gonna walk. And though they hit their head a few times, there came the day when they could walk all the way to daddy. And I'm so glad tonight that at a very young age, God put within me a desire. I can hardly remember a time in my life when I didn't have a desire to be what God wants me to be. You say, Brother Hooker, have you failed the Lord? Yes. You say, Brother Hooker, you mean you actually did something and failed the Lord? I did. But let me tell you, I'm so glad, I'm so glad God put a desire in me to walk. And I'm glad he helped me to find a place of forgiveness. And he took me back. You say, what'd you do? It's none of your business. It's under the blood. Hallelujah. Amen. Exercise faith. 
But I have to be fair to you tonight to tell you that there is a destiny for the backslider, for the failure. There is a danger if you just continue, especially in the bright light you're in tonight. For every day you walk as a failure, you are walking away from God. God's not moving. God's not moving, but you're moving. I'd heard and read about people being slain under the power of God. I read about it. Never seen it in my life. Never thought I would see it. One day after service several years ago, a great saint of God was in the vestibule and all of a sudden fell down as if she were dead in the vestibule. I thought she died. Except when I knelt down beside her, she was talking and was breathing normally and was praying. And she was laying there saying, oh God, you've got to save these people and named those people out by name. Two of which were in that church, in that service that Sunday morning. I don't have to tell you that those two people made their way to an altar of prayer. They made their way to an altar of prayer, but neither one of them seemed to really get things settled, but both of them told me there were some things they needed to do to get right with God, and I encouraged them to allow God to take them at their word and, and leave the altar and take care of what they needed to do and come back. That dear saint laid there in that vestibule for probably about two hours while the rest of us prayed. At about two o'clock in the afternoon, she woke up and stood to her feet as if nothing had happened. But God had given her a tremendous burden. But I watched those two young men that went to the altar. I mean, what else could God do? He struck somebody down in that service for them. They made their vows in an altar, but they never kept those vows. And I watched their life go downhill in a hurry. They did things they would have never dreamed they would have done. Why? because they turned their back on God and the farther they went away from God, the less moral compass they had in their life. If you're a failure, you have an influence. And every day you live in failure, you influence others. There are those right here in this room that you can influence and help and encourage to live for the Lord. And there are also those you can encourage and help and convince to not live for him. You have an influence. And then when we live in failure, we live under the judgment of God. We're not ready for heaven. God's not gonna allow us to sin forever. It's a dangerous place to live. The night before Jesus was crucified, two of his disciples were failures. Judas and Peter. Both of them on that night realized the tragedy of their failure. Watch Judas as he goes back into the high priest reaches down into his pocket or probably rather a bag he was carrying 
and took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them at her feet. Said, I don't even want to have them staining my hands. I have the blood of Christ on my hand. And he went out into the night to weep. Peter fled the judgment hall and the Bible says he wept bitterly. The very Lord that caused him to draw his sword. The very Lord just moments really before, minutes before he said, Lord, wait a minute, I'm gonna go with you to death if I have to. He now has disowned. Both men were failures. Both men realized the tragedy of that failure and both men were weeping. But one man weeps his way and finds full forgiveness from the Lord. Such forgiveness that Jesus says, I want you to make sure that not only my disciples know I'm risen from the dead, but make extra special sure Peter knows. On the other hand, Judas stands at a precipice, ties a rope around a branch and around his neck and jumps off the precipice and the rope breaks and he falls to his death and opens his eyes in a burning hill. He died a failure. I believe tonight's a very critical night in this revival because I believe God wants to start the worker revival on those here tonight that have once known the Lord. But you say, Brother Hooker, I'm not where I ought to be spiritually. And if that number of young people can get things settled, God's just beginning to do a work with the rest of us. He wants us to get right with God that know the way. I want you to stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fight. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855, USA. the land. Keep passing